Podcast Network. You want to do the honors, Alan? Yeah. No, you never touch this. This is Captain Dave time. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 186 for the week of January 8th, 2018. I am Barstow Avoider David T. Cole, and I'm here with emotional support duck Sarah D. Bunting. Unattended bag Tara Aragano. <laughs> Why won't anyone attend to me? <laughs> and Dylan McDermott Mulrooney, Adam Grossworth. Which one am I? Welcome to another Extra Hot Great. This is our first record of 2018. Of course, you heard us last week, but we recorded that one million billion years ago before Christmas. Uh, So we're happy to be back talking about a brand new show with an old favorite, Adam Grossworth. Hello, Adam. Hello, Adam. You're old. I am old, and I am honored (laughs) to be your second guest in a row who's high on cold medicine. (laughs) Excellent. Um, We are going to be talking about the new Fox sitcom, L.A. to Vegas. And one of the reasons, among many, that we wanted to talk about this with Adam is that he is a frequent business traveler, (laughs) which may or may not be related to the fact that he has a gold right now. And Uh, degenerate gambler. That, too, of course. Um, I have been to both L.A. and Vegas. (laughs) Someone who's been on many a plane. Uh, what were your initial thoughts about Ellie to Vegas? I remember after we asked you to do this, you of course said yes, because you're gracious. And then you watched the promo and you were mad. And then you watched the episodes and you said you were less. It's mad. true. So- <laughs> the the show is better than the promo. Much, much, much better than the promo. Mm-hmm. Um, I initially was still mad. Um, it, it opens with the, I mean, there's a, it's an ensemble show, but basically the, the lead character in episode one, at least, um, making a very important business phone call while she's getting out of a cab at the airport, which is the thing you kind of just mm-hmm. talked about on again with this. And it just made me hate her mm-hmm. immediately. And then mm-hmm. the next person we see is her black gay stereotype friend. Uh, and they're both flight attendants. And I was just not into it, but as it went along, it really grew on me. Um, Kether Donahue from you're the worst and Grease live is a, a guest star <laughs> in the first episode. And she's always great. Um, there's a, uh, I forget if it's in the first or second episode, but uh, a passenger is unconscious, possibly dead. And uh, one of the flight attendants says of another one, he took the emergency manual, he's checking, and then cut to the <laughs> flight attendant whacking him on the head with the manual. And then they call back to it later. And it's a very airplane in that way. And whenever it was in that mode, I really liked it. When it was more sort of modern single camera sitcom, I was less interested um mm-hmm. as for being a traveler i will say like the, my second note is that, that i love the set which sounds so stupid mm-hmm. but like it looks like a real plane like no one really has any space getting in and yeah. out of the bathroom is really complicated and i really <laughs> love that but i i will also say like i watched this a week and a half ago and if we weren't doing this podcast i would have completely forgotten that i watched it by now but yeah. it's fun i had a good time I thought they did. They were good with the visual jokes, too. I thought the manual thing was funny also. And at the end of the uh, <laughs> the, the pilot, which has already aired, um, Dylan McDermott spends the whole time. He's the captain. He's Captain Dave, who we heard up top. Uh, he And he's, of course, like an arrogant idiot. And he's going on and on about his Muay Thai training. And then he has to 
actually take someone down and the lead up to it, like they're really subtle at first showing him behind this guy who's causing a commotion, like doing <laughs> psyching himself up with his like movie time <laughs> moves. It's it was really well done. I, I Dylan McDermott has never really impressed me very much. And he, I think, is very funny playing this complete, total idiot loser. Um, Sarah, your thoughts? Um, yes, I enjoy uh he's not usually called on to do this and he's clearly having a ball with yes. it he's usually like ultra serious melodrama guy um this it started out so unpromisingly the like dual phone conversation bit is so tired flight attendants don't dress like this but at the same time i loved her scarf like i love the wallpaper in the galley um mm-hmm. there were some lines that i laughed at and was like in my notes, like dot, 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 fine. (laughs) And then (laughs) they, I mean, as hard as they seem to have to work to get to that cockpit block joke, like Mm -hmm. straining herniation levels of effort, the things that go on around the, around the edges, I enjoyed like the Peter Stormari character, just having side bets on everything and how eventually Mm -hmm. the, like, you know, the attendants get into it too. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't need it in my life, but I didn't, I didn't hate it. Like any show that has a line, like you leave Madonna out of this. I I mean, (laughs) I'm not going to be that mad. Some of it is extremely clunky and I'm not sure drunk pilots is still a great source of ongoing comedy here in 2018. Right. Right. I don't know. Did you, did you watch all three of the screeners we got? Yeah, we did. Dave and I did. I did too. Um, I, we should say a little bit about the, what the premise is. This is just, this is about jackpot air and it seems to be an airline that only flies like to Vegas and back from its various other locations. And so it's actually kind of an interesting premise because they have a little title card at the beginning that says there are people who fly to LA, to, who fly to Vegas from LA every weekend, which is definitely true. Yep. And some of them are, as Sarah said, like Peter Stormari, degenerate gamblers. And some of them are, as another character is um, named Nikki, I believe, is a is a stripper who like just goes to Vegas on the weekends to make crazy money. Um, and so there like is an actual sort of workplace aspect to it that doesn't just involve interchangeable um, passengers. Like some of them are on the whole way through. And I feel like Ed Weeks as I don't even remember his name. Cause he's so forgettable. Colin. Colin. Thank you. Of course it was either that or like Nigel or Clive. Sure. Cause he's British. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a guy who got Kether Donahue pregnant, uh, or no, he, he, I can't remember what the, what the, uh, order of operations was with her, but that's why he goes to Vegas every weekend is cause his kid lives there. And so he's sort of trying to start something up with Ronnie, who is our protagonist, the one who was having the bad phone call, who is a flight attendant on this, on this, uh, route. They are not that interesting to me. They can drop that anytime. I feel like what did, what did others think about their whole relationship story? Adam? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I felt the same way. They're, they're sort of, they're decent entry point characters and I, I do like them both. Like the, the actors, they're both really charming, but I don't care. I mean, I don't, I don't want it. I don't need it to be a romantic comedy. Um, yeah. like the show doesn't need a Sam and Diane. Right. And that's clearly what they're trying to do right. with them. Um, but they're fine. Um, you know, the, I, 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 I took points off when I, at the beginning for the, the black guy stereotype flight attendant character. It's like, can we just keep piling them on? But he really grew on me. Um, and he was the yeah. defender of Madonna. And, uh, you know, I, if he becomes more of a human, that character I think could really 
be the most interesting one on the show to me. Well, and that Jacksonville joke, yeah. and then when he just held his hand up, like he'd clearly been waiting to make that joke, and then he holds his hand up, and they leave him hanging, and he's like, uh-huh, and just sort of, I mean, he, again, like around the edges, stuff like that, I liked. The central relationship. Yeah. I always like Ed Weeks, like the, his delivery of, I forget why they were even on a porch on the Mindy Project, but his character got tangled up in a um, wind chime, and his despairing <laughs> delivery of, why America? It makes me laugh every time I think about it. Uh, So I always like him. Like even in that crappy Project Greenlight movie, it was like he was fine. Um, He did his best. But yeah, this is not this is not what this show needs. It needs to be observations about that leg because I used to fly the late, really not great national airlines (laughs) to L.A. because its main function was L.A. to Vegas. So you could get first class flights out of New York to L.A. If you were willing to take a stopover, you could fly first class for like four hundred and forty dollars. Oh, my God. But the people that piled on in Vegas, it was like, oh, boy, this is <laughs> this is a lot of this is a lot of wipes that I'm using on my environment right yeah. now. <laughs> so I'm happy to just watch that. I don't really need like they're attractive people. They'll find love. I don't need to see that in this. Speaking of but attractive she's a mess, people. Sarah. How will she ever find love with that scarf? <laughs> she will be fine. Uh, speaking of attractive people oh, in the turn? third episode. What? Oh, I thought you were going to throw to me. So. I am about to. Uh, in the third episode, we get uh, the the confrontation that's promised in the promo. So I don't feel like this is a big spoiler. Dermot Moroni appears as a rival pilot. And as soon as he came up and he had his first interaction with Dylan McDermott, like it's hilarious, first of all, that they got him to be on it. Like the two of these guys know who they are uh-huh. and that this is a running joke. And I appreciate that. But I also turned to Dave and went, I really want them to be friends in real life. And I do. And I don't know why. Dave, your your thoughts on the show or on them? Um, yeah, that was a nice little bit of uh, casting. That was fun. Uh, for me, I think Ronnie as the lead character is almost the same character as Katie from great news. Um, yeah. She sort of fills the same slot and Katie from great news does it so much better than, she does. than Ronnie does. Um, I found this show was like 40% the way to like a 30 rock scenario, you know, and great news is like 75% the way there. And some of the tone and jokes of in LA to Vegas, just like are really weird and fall flat. Like there's a storyline in the pilot about a newlywed couple or rather a almost a eloping couple going to LA and just their tone and everything of the guy is like genuinely sour instead of sitcom sour. Mm-hmm. And it was just like really off off in parts. Like it is very funny in parts and then sort of switch gears and it's just like not there anymore. And the consistency just wasn't there throughout, but the parts that hit, were really promising. It's just a matter if they can get into that gear all the time. And mm-hmm. I feel like great news, which more people should be watching because it's really improved since it mm-hmm. started. Like it's yes. really um, firing on all cylinders now. And I feel like it's found its tone. And this show so far just feels like they're halfway there. Half the time. There were a bunch of things in the pilot, like, the improvement between like from the pilot to the second episode was so marked that I couldn't help thinking, Dave, you're absolutely right about the um, engaged couple. And that just felt like it was 
from another show and like another time, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, like another decade. And then they come back and he's all bitter. And it was like, what even is this? And I just really got the sense that there were a bunch of network notes in the pilot that were like, these are the people you have to put on this plane in the pilot. And some of them worked like that sort of cheerful exotic dancer who's always trying Mm -hmm. to get people to, he's always trying to get like get referrals. And then she's talking to this couple and they like, don't seem to be in the same scene with her. So I think it was network noty, but it's, it seemed to be trending towards improving like that in six episodes, I would check back in and be like, have they figured out what works and left the rest of it by the, you know, at the curb. We'll see at the gate. Yes. There it is. Gate check. There's- Gate check that stuff. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Or just take it out to an unused runway and blow it up. There you go. Yeah. It's 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 got its moments. It doesn't have enough of those moments. It has the DNA there, I think, for a much better show than it is. And yeah. the question is, will the network give it enough runway to find itself? Thank you very much. Uh- <laughs> He doesn't like you, he's grumpy as can be. He doesn't like fun, that's plain to see. Time to ask, will Dave hate this? Probably. We got an email about this, or you emailed us about it. I can't remember what the process was. was I forwarded an email from one of our listeners who suggested this. I don't have it handy. I'll try to look it up while you guys talk. Okay, so um, this is about a Ridley Scott TV series coming to AMC called The Terror, and I'm reading from <gasps> the <laughs> I'm reading from the re- report on birth birth death movies, uh, or sorry, birth movies death. Excuse me. Um, it's based on a it's a based on a true story thriller slash drama centered around not correct revolves around or centers on the Royal Navy's first attempts to discover the Northwest Passage. Looks extremely cold and foreboding. In it are Tobias Menzies from Outlander and Game of Thrones and every other thing. Um, um, Kieran Hines from Game of Thrones and every other thing. Um, and I'm going to... Oh, and Jared Harris, as I read down from a previous uh, AMC alumnus from Mad Men and every other thing. Uh, I think Dave will not hate this because he loves old-timey British military stuff. He is interested in horror stories or thriller stories that happen in the cold, such as the thing. And the fact, my worry about this when I first got the email was, oh, it's going to be on sci-fi and he'll hate it. But no, AMC will actually spend decent money on this thing, particularly with Ridley Scott behind it, because they are still foundering, uh, trying to find a replacement for Mad Men and Breaking Bad, and they still never have. Sorry, Hell on Wheels, you know it's true. Um, So I am hopeful Dave will not hate this. Sarah. Um, first of all, I would like to note that whenever I'm asked a question in which the, um, the answer is an annoyed affirmative, I say in Dave voice from this segment, probably (laughs) I mostly concur that he will not hate this, but I think it is possible that he could hate this for the following reasons. Number one, 10 episodes, standard AMC order, but this shit could get old quickly. And the subject seems better Mm. suited to six or eight, in my opinion. Number two, one of the producers, Sue Hugh, produced the molasses paste, The Killing, as well as Under the Dome. Number three, another producer, Robin Alain Feldman, has a downright bizarre production resume that includes Blue Buds, Felicity, and Marco Polo. 
It also includes Agent Carter, which is quite a bit more promising. And as script pickers go, Jared Harris doesn't have that many bum notes on his CV, but a lot will depend on the pacing. And it's not like we can't just go to Wikipedia and see what actually happened to this voyage if things get dullish in the first couple episodes. I think Tara's probably right, but he could hate it. So what's what's the terror? Is it just is it man? The name of the ship is it? Oh, it's the sea. The HMS Terror. Um, see, when I first heard about this, I thought it was going to be, when you first started talking about it, I thought it was going to be like, okay, they're, they're sailing Northwest passage, but like the Wendigo is out to get them or something <laughs> like, is this, like there is some supernatural like thing stalking them, which sounds no, interesting no, no. to me, but this yeah. just sounds like man versus the elements or, and then right. man versus man. Or yeah. Man but you liked himself. like master and commander. Um, I, I watched master and commander. I wouldn't say that I liked it and even i like seek out more masters and mm-hmm. commanders well um, there were there was only one <laughs> of each uh i don't think this this does not sound like amc's replacement for anything this really sounds like a great uncle coffee table book of a tv show <laughs> if you ask me this is like great tanks of the eastern front uh type of material but dave your best friend kieran hines oh yeah that's true Julius i do Caesar. like him um mm-hmm. I, I I am firmly in the we'll give this a pilot chance. Um, the premise alone does not really sell me. Even lower winter sun. Not a not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> good. This is good. Um, so I'm going to say, I mean, I always like to make a determination. I, I did a wishy-washy uh, declaration once and I hated myself for it. Uh, based on the the provided information, will Dave hate this? Probably not, but he's not going to love it. Woo-hoo. Let me ask you this. Would you be more inclined to not hate it or possibly even like it if, if instead of Kieran Hines, it was Ian McShane? Not, not really. I don't think that really okay. enters into it. I mean, All right. who knows what the character is going to be, right? Like if it was right. Al Swearingen on the boat. Yeah, sure. <laughs> in, in it. Right. Um, but who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a big difference between julius caesar and whoever he played on game of thrones i really with the title the terror and it ends up just being the boat yeah that's kind of a letdown right there right i mean you know <laughs> maybe you think that's a clever title or whatever what if he played the boat <laughs> now there is a good solution to this tv show <laughs> it is time to go around the dial first stop tara ariano choo choo Hi, I have a couple. Around the dial is a train now? Um, yeah. Okay. We're, we're centered around uh, the dial. A, oh. Okay. A lot of people <laughs> on Twitter were asking <laughs> us to comment on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which we did not because, A, this is not a show that Sarah would ever willingly watch. We did not make her. You got that shit right. And B, it was uh, it was something that I thought my mother would enjoy, and she was here for 18 days, so I saved it f- to watch with her over the holidays, which we now have done. So I'll keep this brief. It's fine. Like, I don't know if I necessarily would have finished it if I hadn't started watching it with my mom. I don't know if she necessarily cared to finish it, but we both did. Um, we needed something to fill the, <laughs> the eerily quiet void <laughs> in the room, Jeez. says the Ariano family. <laughs> Um, she watched big little lies and she was much more into that i think but uh my problems with it were that first of all there's no reason for every episode to be an hour long that's really excessive um even though there were only eight episodes it still felt like some of them really 
le- were Logie in the middle. Um, there's a thing where early in the season, she breaks up with her husband because it turns out that he has been trying to get into stand-up by doing stolen Bob Newhart routines. Okay, which... And and the people at the club where he's been doing them know it and they keep giving him stage time to do it. And this is like not obscure Bob Newhart routines like they're from his album. Like people would know who were comedy fans. I feel like even in, especially in that time when there were like four things that were of entertainment value, like in the 50s. <laughs> and one of them was I'm polio. just saying, like if you liked comedy, <laughs> right. Like if you liked comedy, you would know that thing. Like someone would have heckled him. Because he kept getting earlier stage times because Midge, the wife, the titular Mrs. Maisel, would show up with brisket and stuff. Like someone would have said something before she found out by seeing Bob Newhart do it on the Ed Sullivan show or whatever. Anyway, after they break up, her uh, father-in-law reveals that he's been basically bankrolling their whole life. They've been living way beyond their means. He owns their apartment. And so it's a whole thing of like he's withdrawing his his you know, financial support of them, which is not a big deal because her parents are also rich and she just moves in with them. They live in the same building. But then the husband goes and gets a totally equally nice apartment, except it's probably not a four bedroom or whatever. And like, where does this money come from? We don't know. So like, why bring up money as a factor if it's not actually going to pay off in any way? Like, he seems fine. Um, There's also a real, I feel like, misapprehension about the craft of stand-up because the whole thing of her getting into stand-up is like she just is really angry and like storms on stage and does this whole thing like out of passion or whatever. And it's like, that's not how stand-up works. And then, you know, there's a a half-assed sort of like montage of her eventually like working out an act and writing it and testing out different punchlines and stuff, which is fine. But then it's like, I don't know if we're supposed to think that the show thinks like you're a natural or you're not like that's not my impression of how it works. And in in addition to that, like she apparently is such a natural. She doesn't know anything about the field of comedy. Like someone is like, we could be like Nichols and May. And she's like, who? Like, again, seriously, (laughs) like they were pretty famous, I think. Um, She eventually to support herself gets a job like working at the cosmetic counter at a department store. And my thought at that point was like, this is probably about right. Like (laughs) not to be, I realize that's a less interesting show, but like, she's just not that good. And now I've the the biggest problem that I had with the season and the one where if I hadn't been watching my mom with my mom, it definitely would have stopped was she meets this other older established female comedian who's played by Jane Lynch. Her name is Sophie Lennon. And her whole stage of, persona is that she's super body and like wears a fat suit and swears and stuff and then she has midge over for lunch because there's a opportunity for midge to open for her at some show and she goes over there and she you know sophie lives this incredibly lavish elegant joan riversy life with like butlers and stuff and so then midge like doxes her on stage basically because they talk about how no one knows that she really lives like this and so like then she's blacklisted and my thought was like yeah no kidding. Like, good. You don't get to do that shit. Like, what the fuck? And also, wouldn't people just inherently understand that Jane Lynch's character is rich because she's super successful? Right. Like, even if she started out, yeah, I don't if know. it started out real, I, I found that very strange, too. Anyway, I don't know if I'm going to watch a second season, like, whatever. It just She just won the Golden Globe for comedy. It's it's fine. But like what you watched it, what did you think? I I, I like it a lot more than you do, but nothing you just said is incorrect. You know, like um, I 
I found it very charming. I think it looks amazing. It does. Right? It's all this true. period lovingly shot, all this, you know, period music, all of that. Um, I do think she's pretty great. Um, I paid no attention to the Golden Globe, so I don't know who didn't win that award, but you know, yeah, I do I like know. her a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's like a, it's a top tier Amazon show. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. and I, I will, I will watch more. I like, I like everyone in it very much. Um, it's very well cast. I agree with that. Um, and she, a lot of it is carried by the charm of Rachel Brosnahan's performance. Like she's, she does sparkle in this role. It's a real star maker, but the whole thing was sort of like an eh to me. So anyway, People were asking. That's my answer. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> if you do watch it, don't think about it too hard. <laughs> that's a really that good. Will, that's that will go poorly advice. for you. Absolutely. Um, and so briefly, I'll just say I also watched the pilot of 911, the new for some reason, Ryan Murphy procedural that's on Fox and is like a completely generic CSI type show. Like it, there's nothing about Ryan Murphy on it. I don't know why they're even touting him in the ads, because I mean, I know he didn't create it, but it's it's not it doesn't have the stink of Ryan Murphy on it at all. It is really boring. And for all of all the things for Connie Britton to leave Nashville for, which is also not a good show like <laughs> this is even worse. And I feel sad for her. So um, don't watch 911. It is bad. Uh, as for my plug, I will say Will and Grace and Kevin and Tara, uh, which is covering all the new uh, Will and Grace episodes that are rolling out on NBC every night this every Thursday night this month. Adam Grossworth. What do you got? Uh, we're in this weird point in the year where there's not a lot happening. And I spent much of my break catching up on things that you guys have already talked about in some cases, several years ago. Um, (laughs) so I guess I'm going to talk about the X files, which is back (laughs) for some reason. Um, it's, it's actually, it's weird to watch this post twin peaks, um, which, you know, let's not get into twin peaks. Um, but you know, Twin Peaks, the original was on when I was like 15 and I remember everything. Like right when you're a fan of something as a teenager, like you're so into it and it sticks with you. And regardless of whether the reboot made sense or not, like I, you know, all these things were coming back to me. The X-Files was a, was a little bit later and I would have said I was a giant fan of the X-Files too, but I was, I guess, in my early 20s. And I don't remember stuff that happened on the last season of the revival of the X-Files, <laughs> let alone 20 years ago. And I, the first episode, as we're recording this, only one episode of the season has aired, um, and it was a week ago. And I was watching it, being like, "Wait, who is that? Do we know about <laughs> this? It's not, it's not good." And I liked the last season a lot better than a lot of people, though I didn't think it was great. But it was sort of like, "Oh, yay, Scully's back!" And <laughs> this one opens with um, Mulder voiceover, sort of Mulder's Meredith Grey style <laughs> voiceover. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, stop it. And I like David Duchovny is fine, but that is not a thing that he should be doing. And it was not a good start. I will probably watch one more just to see. But I, I think I'm I think I'm done with the X-Files, which makes me a little sad because it, it was a, a big deal at one point. Uh, apparently, the one that's airing as people are listening to this tonight is better. But good. I mean, in, in case you were really like on the fence about kissing it off. But if you're not, go with God. Yeah, the TiVo's on, the TiVo's almost empty. It's January. I can watch it. <laughs> it's weird to me that it's back now. Like the last season, the season of the revival was from 2016. Like you don't get to revive something and then take a year off and then come back. Like that's not how TV right? works. Well, and then like Jillian Anderson said that she wasn't going to do another. And Chris Carter was like, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which yeah. suggests that there's not an ending. Yeah. Which makes me really not want to stick yep. with it. 
because that's kind of the whole point of you know what the show is in terms of conspiracies yeah. and all that so now now scully's turn to go to the market or whatever it was it <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's also like uh Elliot of vegas and uh mrs mazel are both like shows you can just kind of put on and be doing other things and you're not going to miss much the x-files is not that show even when it's bad <laughs> like if you miss an, an x expository monologue like you're screwed that's the whole conspiracy theory and that actually happened while i was watching last week's and like i had to rewind a minute so you know it's not even a good like multitasker what you're saying is this got bad roi yes yes exactly (laughs) anything to plug there mr grossworth uh no my podcast two spotted dicks uh on the great british bake-off is off because there is no great british bake-off at the moment but uh you can subscribe to it and it'll appear when we come back would you like to plug baking in general <laughs> sarah deep take. i also spent much of the holiday break playing catch up on stuff i didn't have time to watch or read in 2017 and the leftovers final season had been on my list for ages but by the time i finally got to it i was a little worried that it wasn't going to live up to my expectations particularly after so many other critics called it their best of the year and not for nothing but why does the show never get any awards love that's so strange to me Carrie Coon for president. Anyway, uh, if you'd put off watching the series overall because it seemed like another one of those series that only we even watched, much less liked, I hear you. It is that. I think the viewership numbers were like in the low six figures <laughs> for like the entire series run. But uh, I would still urge you to try it. Uh, the first season can be off putting. Because it's like the show hadn't accepted what it was yet. But as a whole, the series has so many wonderful moments of bittersweet grace and acceptance of the messiness of living and specifically the extra messiness of living alongside death. Uh, It's worth sticking with it. I thought it was beautifully done and lived up to the very high expectations set for reviews that I read. So it was great. And I'm glad I finally got around to it. I wouldn't recommend binging it, though. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, especially when your spouse decided like two episodes into the first season that he was absolutely not having it on any level (laughs) and refuses to watch it with you. So you're like having an emotional moment with it. And he's like, don't care. (laughs) Not buying it. (laughs) Anyway, my plug is for our podcast on a show that, while it did not improve with age, still gave me and my co-host a lot to think and talk about. That's Go Pirates, which is our Veronica Mars podcast. At the moment, we are cutting through the high, overgrown plot weeds of early season two. <laughs> my co-host, of course, is John Ramos, and John's latest documentary, What Lies Upstream, is out. It's in theaters in New York City and Los Angeles this weekend, and Ooh. it will be available on iTunes next Tuesday. Here's the brief. In this scandalous political thriller, an investigation into a chemical spill spirals into an indictment of the entire system meant to protect drinking water, revealing cover-ups at the highest level of government. Uh, That reading sounded sarcastic, but it actually is quite thrilling. I've seen a couple cuts of it. That's so upsetting. As of this writing, it is sitting at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yay, John! And Colin, uh, I'm very excited for him and the director that it is out at last and before it comes out or to your town. You can check out their other documentary collaboration. Terms and conditions may apply. Oh, the 
that works. Music means it's time for the canon's evil goatee twin, the Nonak, a terrible episode of a otherwise well-regarded show. Tar Ariano is pitching this week's entry. It's true. I'm presenting to the Nonak season two, episode three of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt entitled Kimmy Goes to a Play. By this point in the series, we've had a whole season of Kimmy Schmidt's adventures outside the bunker. And in season two, Kimmy's not so innocent. She has romantically pursued a married man and is dealing with the harsh reality of having lost her income due to Jacqueline's relative poverty post-divorce. In this episode, Kimmy is pulled into Jacqueline's hijinks. Jacqueline wants to line up a rich date to impress all the swells at a society wedding, but Kimmy tries to box block her in order to encourage Jacqueline to stay true to her newly rediscovered principles. In the end, Kimmy's attempts to keep Jacqueline from reverting to her old nouveau riche assholeish ways just lead to Jacqueline passing Kimmy off as her date to the snobs who will make sure it gets back to her ex-husband, Julian. There's also a C-plot in which Lillian mistakes spray-painted markings for the tags of a new gang called the FA-10 Cinco's, but they're just eventual hookups for Fios high-speed internet. But as tiresome as both Jacqueline's social climbing and Lillian's mania for opposing East Dogmouth gentrification are, which is very, neither of them is the problem here. As soon as you heard the episode title, you remembered what it was. It's Titus's decision to mount a one-man show in which he plays a geisha. So while the first season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt justly received a lot of praise for Ellie Kemper's performance in the title role, the enjoyable bizarreness of its premise, and the 30-rock-worthy rate of jokes per minute, it was also criticized for one story thread in particular, the choice to make Jacqueline a member of the Lakota Sioux tribe, passing as white thanks to a blonde dye job and blue contact lenses. Critics of this plotline noted that Jane Krakowski, who plays Jacqueline, has no First Nations heritage, but when series co-creator Tina Fey was asked about the controversy several months after the season dropped, she told Netta Porte, and I quote, the internet was in a whirlwind calling it racist, but my new goal is not to explain jokes. I feel like we put so much effort into writing and crafting everything. They need to speak for themselves. There's a real culture of demanding apologies, and I'm opting out of that, end quote. Well, turns out she did more than just opt out of delivering the apology she felt some viewers were demanding. She sanctioned Sam Means writing Kimmy Goes to a Play for season two, and here's what makes it so excruciating. Number one, it puts Titus in yellow face. I mean, take technically white face because geisha. Titus has a reason. Clip one. As you know, I vividly remember all my past lives. There's Cyrus, the first openly gay slave. Alphonse, who almost invented the raisin. <laughs> and Napoleon, a very sick parrot. No pug dogs? For the last time, No! But none of my past selves were more talented or more troubled than the Japanese geisha Murasaki. You're playing a Japanese woman? Playing? I was a Japanese woman. Well, if Aisha Tyler can play a white woman on Friends, then I guess it's okay. Getting a sign-off on this idea from Kimmy, someone who started the episode in a considerable amount of distress about the fact that the guy from the Operation Board Game is apparently conscious for his many surgeries is maybe not as strong an endorsement as Titus thinks. There is someone in his life who has a history of progressive activism and a passion for social justice who might have cautioned against Titus choosing to do his show from the perspective of Murasaki and not one of his other past lives, but Lillian is busy fighting high-speed internet right now. The meta point is obviously that an artist should not feel constrained by his or her circumstances from creating any kind of art the muse inspires, 
which is exactly the kind of position you'd expect from a white male Ivy League graduate who wrote a satirical book called A Practical Guide to Racism. Yes, that is something that Sam Means, the credited writer of this episode, really did. Number two, it portrays the internet as a place where irredeemable cranks congregate. I mean, yes, we do. But also, this episode aired in 2016, a time when everyone was on the internet, including people who have legitimate critiques to make about cultural appropriation. News of Titus's show, Kimono You Didn't, has reached a group called Respectful Asian Portrayals. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet. And I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad. So let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W dot com and use promo code E-H-G for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. In entertainment, uh, that spells rape, which is maybe not the hilarious joke Sam means thinks, given that later this season, Kimmy is going to go into therapy and say that when she was in the bunker, Reverend Richard Wayne, Gary Wayne, raped her starting when she was a young teenager, not that there is ever a right time. Anyway... R.A.P.E. has not only come out against Kimono You Didn't due to its cross-racial casting, it's also put Titus on a list, clip two. They called you a Hitler? They named me one of their top five Hitlers of all time. Real Hitler wasn't even on the list. Why am I not allowed to be Murasaki? I, she, am was me, her. Titus, those guys are a bunch of hosers. How can they criticize something they haven't even seen? Because that's what the internet is. Just anonymous hosers criticizing geniuses. Hey, I may be a hoser, but I proudly put my name all over this thing. Regardless, (laughs) I'll grant that the stereotype of the touchy internet wacko shutting down unpopular ideas by calling opponents Hitler was arguably more outlandishly absurd a year and a half ago than it is in our current era of on both sides, the white supremacist apologists. But lots of times you don't actually have to see a piece of art to know you should be offended by the fact of its existence. I would direct you to the films of Dinesh D'Souza, for example. We're supposed to think R.A.P.E. is wrong because they're publishing their screeds on the wild west of the Internet and because we know and like Titus. But a watchdog group monitoring Asian representation in pop culture will, unfortunately, find no shortage of TV shows to draw its ire. Wait until they hear about this one show that made a multi-episode punchline out of the name Dong. Number three, it is clearly written by 
a privileged white person who's never had to think about media representation for a single second. Clip three. This show is an abomination. We're going to boo you so loud you won't be able to hear yourself talk. Yeah, the whole portrayal is offensive. A geisha? Seriously? But Murasaki really was a geisha. Typical. Why couldn't she be a successful businesswoman or a college professor or a stay-at-home dad? But if you actually watch the whole show... I don't want to hear the end of anything anyone has to say. I mean, the fact that this plot line made it onto our streaming devices does certainly suggest that someone didn't want to hear the end of anything some people had to say and just turned their embarrassment at being called out for racist material into a bunch of straw man characters united under a banner literally labeled rape. Later, as Titus is trying to decide whether to give up on the show, we see a montage of his past lives, including the aforementioned slave. Clip four. Look, Cyrus, you got to cool with the gay rights stuff. We got way bigger problems down here, man. You're right. I should just give up. The erasure of gay men's experience in the African-American community is actually a real issue that persists to this day. And in general, the series has done a good job of showing what Titus has dealt with in this life. But we never hear why Titus doesn't want to tell Cyrus's story in his one man show. So we must infer that it always had to be geisha face. So Kimmy Schmidt's writers could make a point and get back at the mean old Internet. And my final point, number four, its resolution is total bullshit. Clip five. Corbin, what do we do now that we're not offended? Yeah, I, I feel weird. It's like, I can't breathe. Wait, I'm not allowed to say that. I offended myself. So we're now using not just the word rape, but Eric Garner's death for cheap punchlines? Cool. Uh, it would be fine to let the internet critics be won over by Kimono You Didn't. Titus Burgess's singing really is beautiful, but between now and the end of time, there's probably going to be another movie or TV series or black box stage production that will do a bad job of portraying Asian people. The idea that the group would disband because it reversed its stance on a single piece of pop culture content is, again, a thought only a very blinkered white idiot could have. So I realize that this presentation has put us on a Mubius strip of meta-ness as I use my internet platform to criticize the critique of an internet-driven critique... But it felt important that I do so. For me, this episode represents a real low point, not just in the series run of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, but in the political satire career of Tina Sheetcake Fay, who really needs to make some friends who aren't white and rich like yesterday. I hope you will agree by voting it into the Nonak. Who's first? Who wants to follow that joyride? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I'll go. <clears throat> this this is a weird um, this is a uh, new area for the Nonak because I think usually we're just looking at the quality, but this is sort of like, uh, I laughed many times, but then it was like, oh, like I just did it queasily. Like stop sleeping on that side of your face is something that I'd still say to pets. <laughs> um, the, what every actor's friend dreams of the one man show. I, I mean- there are great lines in it, but then you just, you can already smell the huge turd coming just right from the beginning. And it's really hard to enjoy the no face journeys sign when you know what's coming. So, but this is different for the Nonak because what we're really talking about is like, um, it's not bad. Like the badness is not a quality thing. The badness is like a morality thing. Um, and once you've seen this episode and you know what it is and 
what it's trying to do, it's it's really tough to it's really tough to get past it, even with a joke about a helmet full of bees, which should really win me over. Mm-hmm. It just it, it's it's tough, and I feel bad for the performers. Um, but this is the absolute worst possible look vis-a-vis the critiques of the show from the first season, especially in a plot that like, it just would have been so easy to apologize and then just don't refer to it again because that plot was boring anyway. Like in addition to being offensive, it was not, it was not interesting even if it weren't offensive. Um, and then the, like the critiques of the critiques, I I don't know. It just was here again. It's offensive. And then it's also, uh, tired, like the way that, the way that it's done. Like, I don't want to hear the end of anything anyone has to say is a line that had been in a jar of vinegar for a while. Like, (laughs) okay, ha ha, the internet, we're full of cranks. Like that's where we literally all live. No. And this, this should have been stopped. It's, it's petty. It's unfair to make your, your cast do it. And it's, I mean, it just ruins everything around it. I'm a little more forgiving of the various other like ancillary plot lines, like Amy Sedaris in the Jacqueline plot is a blocking delight. Oh, the foot, the kicking off the shoes is like an all time for sure. Absolutely. It's so good. But then everything else gets tainted with the, the, you know, gets smeared with the other shit. So excellent presentation. Uh, It's a little bit. It's like a completely different angle to come into the Nonak at, but it's, you know, one I think we will have use for in the future, sadly. <laughs> sadly. Uh, so, yeah, thought-provoking, unfortunately. Adam? <clears throat> um, I was pretty convinced by your presentation, Tara, because coming into this, uh, this sort of just feels like an episode of Kimmy Schmidt to me. This is a show that I watch but don't really like um, <laughs> it's and I don't have a lot of these because there's so much TV as you and I have discussed on Twitter, but um, you know, there's a, there's such a cultural conversation around the show, at least in my corner of social media that I kind of feel like I have to, and the jokes are usually really funny. So that's enough to keep me wanting to watch it, but I kind of hate all of these characters um, <laughs> and especially Titus <laughs> Like they're not antiheroes. Uh-huh. They're, they're just dumb. And, you know, and I just, so watching this and also because it's on Netflix, I tend to watch it a little bit post cultural conversations. So, like I knew this was coming the first time I saw it. And I think maybe it, it, it hit a little bit less hard than it would have because I was sort of expecting it to be so much worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there are some there are some really good jokes in this, including I thought some of the ones around the show. I mean, not the racist part, but like, the, <laughs> but like that that is totally a show that Titus would do. Um, when we see that little snippet of Coriolanus's show, like that is perfect. Um, and you know, in real life, these are two actors who would be you know fighting for all the same roles if they were actually auditioning for anything, which, you know, I'm sure they're not, but, um, but the real actors probably are. Um, yeah, I mean the, the internet stuff is very lemon Lyman, Aaron Sorkin, and it's, it's not, (laughs) as you say, it's not a good look. Um, and I, what's a bummer is that I, I do think that some of that is mockable, but 
this is not yeah. this is not the right venue. This is not was not the right moment, certainly, for it to be a response to something. Um, you know, but but because I think this these writers write jokes that make me laugh. Like I I like Sarah, I laughed in spite of myself at uh, several of these jokes that I knew I shouldn't be laughing at. Um, oh, I, I laughed too when we rewatched this yesterday, and I wrote this presentation. <laughs> like there are there's funny stuff in there, but like yeah, it's it's but, rough. But to me, that's just that's that's the show. Like that's how I always feel yeah. about the show. So the fact mm-hmm. that this time it's it's this that I don't like about these characters, as opposed to any of the numerous other things I don't like about these characters, didn't <laughs> make it feel that much different to me. So I'm not really sure of my vote, but I you make a really strong case for why this is extra bad. Thank you so much. I think this episode is going to be like in a lot of course studies in the years to come. Yes. Like, <laughs> you know, when we look yeah. back, I mean, the story like, you know, the new millennium, gener- like to be super reductive about it, learning new perspectives, learning to get out of your own skin and see life through, you know, the way other people have to live it. And that journey has been quick for some, slow for others. Um, certainly, I think you're right when you say Tina Fey really needs to make some 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 new friends uh, to get some different perspectives because this is seems to be the one thing that she decided that you know, this is the hill that she will die on because it comes up yeah. again and again. Even great news, like no, yeah, did this and they tried hard, but they couldn't quite get all the way there either. Um, or just don't put yourself in a position where nobody around you is going to point out that this is a horse shitty idea. Yeah. Right. Like it just seemed to, this might've come where she was like at a point where she was too famous and everyone around her just sort of felt like, well, it's going to bite her, but what can we do? By this time she's had many a run in with the media over this very thing. So it's not like it, this was born out of ignorance. If, if anything, stubbornness, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it feels, it reads that way. I mean, if I may go back to like a real old example, when Michael Patrick King did that infamous uh, panel at the TCA press tour about two broke girls where he was asked about his, per- again, his portrayal of an Asian character on that show. And his answer was, I can't be racist. I'm gay. Like, I feel like that's Tina Fey's answer, except it's like, I can't be racist. I'm a woman. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like she's, yeah. she's staked out. That's her thing. And like, you know, she thinks that means that she can get away with a lot of shit. And it's like, you can't even get away with some of your woman stuff. Like really you need to take some classes. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, back to you, Dave. This episode I think is emblematic of that journey is not yet done. Obviously <laughs> yeah. for a lot of people, uh, mostly white people, uh, <laughs> obviously being the majority and having sat in comfy chairs for a very long time and now having to examine their contribution to all the lead up to things like Me Too, to things like Black Lives Matter. You know, that is not an easy path for lots of people. And, you know, that's a big sea change. And this sort of reaction to it is going to be, I mean, it doesn't wear well now, but as an historical artifact, it's going to be so embarrassing in the years yeah. to come. And the one thing that, of course, bugs me more than anything is what phone company is making tags on a wall for their phone lines <laughs> that big you know they're just got little spray paints on the ground it's just like, come on guy do do a little research uh i say no sarah d bunting i mean i say yes to it being a no <laughs> sorry 
Um, yeah, almost like uh, Alphonse's uh, raisins when they're cooked, leaching into the baked good around them and ruining it. Uh, thus, racisms. No. D- forget it. Whatever. Here's my point. Yes for the Nonak. Good presentation. Thank you. All right. Thank Adam Grossworth, what say you? Uh, it still did not feel that much worse despite it being more offensive. So I'm going to say no to the Nonak, but it doesn't matter. And we get to hear the fun music. Yay! means unbreakable kimmy schmidt season two episode three kimmy goes to a play you are hereby inducted into the extra hot great nonak you think it can't get worse and then it keeps getting worse it does Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It is time for winner and loser of the week. Tara, who is our winner? Winner are people I'm I'm going to say about five years younger than I am because Hulu is bringing back Animaniacs. We should also say uh, the the original run of the series of both Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures were both just added to Hulu last week. So if you want to relive those, you can. Tiny Toon was the one that was on when I was in high school. So that was the one that I would be more excited about if they were bringing it back. Theoretically, I probably wouldn't watch it, honestly. But uh, people are super psyched about Animaniacs. So if you are in that like Daria corridor of like just a tiny bit younger than me enough that this is this was your show. I'm older than you and I yeah, did it air really? late. Well, also, did right. it air later in Canada? Because I was definitely in high school when it started. It started in 93. So that was oh, the, I was not then. I graduated. Yeah, I graduated. That's me too. So. Um, all right. So, all right. so people who are five years younger than I am and Dave. Right. Um, Animaniacs and, has some really good bits. Like they have some stand, outstanding. I, mean, I don't want to watch it now, but I did love it. Mm-hmm. in I guess in college, I guess yeah, it, exactly. or like the spring semester of high school, depending on when it started. And it might be the only cartoon I know that made a finger bang. Jim, so, <laughs> you know, it's got that going for that it. you remembered because you were old enough to know what it was. Perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, perhaps. so yeah, I have to go back and watch. Uh, yeah. All the Saturday morning cartoons. Thunder and Barbarian probably had a lot of that. Stuff. You know, he meant it. Just too young to recognize <laughs> finger banging. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, congratulations to all of Calls you. Calls it Sun Sword, but you know. You know. <laughs> oh. And loser of the week. No segue there. there. Um, the art loser is the Versace's. Uh, the family has slammed American Crime Story, the assassination of Gianni Versace in uh, a move that is maybe not the best look. Speaking of those. <laughs> Partly because it's only going to amp the publicity. It is based on what I understand is a well-researched, sober-sided book that's not too trashy, but they're upset that they weren't consulted. I get it, but just don't say anything, maybe, until you've seen it and just, I don't know. 
you're not helping yourselves. <laughs> Indeed. Speak about not helping yourself. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Do you know what time it is? Gacha time. Game time. Uh, Welcome back. This is the sixth game time, uh, seventh game time of the season. Season scores are currently Tara 4, Sarah 1, Value Guess 1. Before you get into the game, I just want to mention, Sarah, you have one steel meal, Value Guess, you have two. Thank you. Valuable information. Thank you, Tara Ariana. You're welcome. Today, we are playing the second half of the United States of Television from Suli, who earns himself an extra credit. That's right. He got two extra credits for one game. I'm going to read you a description of a TV show that marries an existing show with one of the 50 states of the union. You have to tell me the new title. The example we used last week, Zoe Deschanel is a surprisingly abrasive and overtanned lead in this comedy where she moves into an apartment with three men in Atlantic City. That show, New Jersey Girl. That's how we play it. Everybody clear on that? Yes. Yes. All right, let's start with the picky to see who's going to go first. We will start with Tara. All right. Tara, Adam, Sarah is our order. Are we ready to play the United States of Television Part 2? Yes, sir. Yes. Five to six young adults are stripped of all money and possessions and must live together in an RV as they travel the highways of America's smallest state. Rhode Island rules. Correct. For one point. To Adam. Former law school classmates reunite in the Little Rock County Courthouse when they take on rival clients. Uh, It's Arkansas. I have no idea what the show is. It's Raising the Barkansas. Sure. I believe that's a show. (laughs) All right. Sarah D. Bunting. A young, single, devout Catholic Latina woman discovers that's a that's redundant. Discovers that after a medical mix-up, she has become an entire East Coast state. <laughs> Jane the Virginia. Back to Tara. Yes. In this section of the White House, staffers walk and recite the lyrics to John Denver's "Take Me Home." West Virginia wing. Adam. Yeah. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to name this TV show Great Lakes State Mashup. Michigan Impossible? (laughs) Jimmy Fallon does his late night show from the comfort of the Space Needle, Sarah. Uh, The Washing Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon? Nice. Finally fed up with all the Coloreds moving in. Archie Bunker <laughs> pulls up stakes and moves his family to the Yukon. That's not quite right. Uh huh. No. Alaska in the family. Yeah. Generous interpretation of the Yukon, but we'll love. Uh, <laughs> guitars are plucked and jokes are told by country bumpkins standing up in pineapple fields. He Hawaii. <laughs> Larry, that was mine, by the way. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, Larry David's 90-minute show where he goes around Manhattan telling people to calm the fuck down and not get so excited about the fact they live in Manhattan. 
Uh, Jesus. I, I, would, I would just find a your that might help you. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. That's weird. That's not where I would have gone with it. Thank you. Curb New York enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Curb New York enthusiasm. Got it. Right. LeVar Burton is on the local St. Louis PBS affiliate and narrates stories to children. Um, Missouri Reading Rainbow. Nice. Showtime's newest drama about how amazing the residents of this state in the Deep South are at fucking. <laughs> uh, can I hear it again? The, the state part. Yeah. Showtime's newest drama about how amazing the residents of this state in the Deep South are at making love. Right. No, it's just that all we're getting is the Deep South and I'm bad at geography. Uh, it's Masters of Sex. I don't know. I'm going to be mad at myself, but... I think this state was recently in the news a lot last uh-huh. week. There was an alternate uh, <laughs> one for this that involved that person that you were thinking about. Oh. Yes. But I decided that it might have been like a little too uh, current eventy. I mean, Malabama Masters of Sex? All right. Alabama Masters of Sex. Feels like a reach, but I'll All take right. it. Number 12. Bring us into a first score break. This is for Sarah. Piper is sent to a prison where she insists that jumpsuits are so in in Manchester and Concord right now. Okay, it's uh, Orange is the New Hampshire Black. <laughs> you are correct, and let's hear the scores, please, Tark. So close. Sarah and I are tied with four each. Adam has three. All right. So, Adam, guess what? I get so, my own equalizer challenge. Yeah, what do you call it? Just the equalizer challenge? The me equalizer challenge? <laughs> All right, here we go. You need to get three of these six right, and you'll get two points, all right? Okay. From the classics, what talk show host regulars included Cliff Arquette and Guinevere? Uh, Ed Sullivan? That's Jack Parr. Sure. Good guess. Yeah. Sitcom. What pro sport did Cheers Sam Malone pursue before he bought the bar? Baseball. Baseball. Correct. Drama. What 1989 docudrama had a script based on books by John Dean, Julie Nixon Eisenhower, Henry Kissinger, and Richard Nixon? Oh, Jesus. What's that docudrama? 1989. I don't. I don't know. Something about Vietnam. Mm. I forget what it's called. The Final Days. Oh, yeah. Final sure. Days. Kids and Games. Who, what show saw at Prince Adam battle Skeletor? He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Yeah. yeah. You previously mentioned gay porn cartoon. <laughs> uh, you need one of these. What young looking anchorman did Mikhail Gorbachev ask in 87? What year were you born in? Peter Jennings. Oh, that's who I would have said. Tom was it Tom Broca? Okay. All right. Wild card. What TV accessory sold 480,000 units in its first big year of production in 1979? TV accessory. Remote control? Almost half a million units in its first big year in 1979. Remote control? Oh. 
the Atari? VCR. Oh, yeah. VCR. That feels early to me for a VCR, but yeah, that makes sense. All right. So our scores remain the same. We're just about halfway done. We are halfway done. Back to Tara. Yes. Just too amazing for NBC, then TNT. This crime drama has a third life as it is now being picked by Sioux Fall Public Broadcasting. Uh, uh, oh, South Dakota land. Southland, Dakota, South Dakota land. Okay. Four foul-mouthed eight-year-olds tackle current events in a whirlwind one-week production timetable in Charleston. South Carolina Park. South Park, Carolina. Yep. Brightly colored, teddy-like creatures with adorable pictures painted on their tummies go around uh, Chapel Hill and Charlotte, (laughs) staring intently at the residents. Uh, I, uh, I mean, it's North Carolina and it's brightly colored uh-huh. teddy-like creatures <laughs> with adorable pictures painted on their tummies. Oh, okay. That I, I was going this Teletubbies direction. That is clearly not correct. North care bears Alina. <laughs> uh, well, I'll give it to you. North Carolina bears. North Carolina bears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, trying to compete with HBO, Showtime has their own sitcom about a tech company startup. The twist is that it's not in California, it's in southern New England. Uh, I'm going to reread that because okay. that's a little. I, I, I don't like the way that's worded because it's All leading right. you down a path it shouldn't lead you down. Okay. HBO has a spinoff sitcom about a tech company startup. The twist is not in California. It's in Southern New England. Forget about Showtime. Okay. Silicon-Connecticut Valley? Correct. Number 17. Spread Eagle. CBS is rebooting another police procedural. The Pueblo Police Department has a special unit which investigates unsolved crimes with seemingly no leads. New Mexico case. New Mexico nice. case. Nuns deliver home births in 1940s Hollywood. California, the midwife. <laughs> the Robertson family takes their A and E success into a spinoff in which they hunt waterfowl outside of Las Vegas. Um, Nevaduck Dynasty. Correct. Number twenty for Adam, Courtney, Kim, <clears throat> uh, Chloe. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rob and the whole gang are doing a very special season of the show in which they try to live their high-profile lives in a rural Omaha suburb. The Kardashian Nebraskans. That is no. not the name of the show. Oh, Keeping Keep Up with up the with Kardashian. The ne- yeah, all right. Nebraska. I thought they were yeah. going toward Kentucky for that. Me too. Number 21 and our second score break. Mike Pence's favorite whitewashed version of this <laughs> early 90s sketch show uh, comedy. <laughs> Indiana Living Color. 
Correct. Scores, please, Star. Uh, still so close. Sarah and I still tied with seven each. Adam has five. All right, Adam. All right. If you get this correct, it'll be a three-way tie with one question left for everybody. Oh, my God. God. Classics. Who was the human being? Kula? (laughs) Kukla? K-U-K-L-A. Fran or Ollie? Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, but I don't know the answer. I'm going to go with Fran. Fran and Ollie. Yay! (laughs) What is that? It's like a puppet show. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a kid show. Got it. 50. Sitcom. What dapper dresser was dubbed the Adolf Menjou of Mayberry? Is that right? Adolf? Sure. sure. Doesn't matter. Menjou uh... <laughs> of, yeah. Dapper dresser. Oh, what the fuck is that character's name? I can picture him. I'm going to be mad. I don't know. Did anybody fill in the blanks of what the hell that question is about? No. I mean, no. it's about. I mean, it's Mayberry. I mean, I know what show it is about. Yeah. And it's, you know, the guy who. He, he wears an ascot. Yeah, I can picture him. The Adolf can, Meju, Meju yeah. part that I'm. Uh, I didn't know anybody somebody. Somebody fashionable, I assume. Uh, well, take a guess. It's not. It's not, is Barney Fife. It's the only name that's coming to me. It's Barney Fife. Yes. What? Really? Oh my Yay. god. Yay! Wore an ascot, didn't he? Woo. On three's company. On three's company. Excellent point. <laughs> but hey, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Doesn't yep. matter how you got there. Adam. I mean, no, it doesn't. Here. Here's what it really is. He was coded as gay. Therefore, uh-huh. he was fashionable. Okay, moving right. on. Yep. What did Patrick Newell's wheelchair-bound character answer to on The Avengers? Ironsides? <laughs> Different. Mother. Sure. I knew that one. Yeah. Kids and Games. What game show put on a confetti and balloon celebration for its winners? All of them? Um, <laughs> let's make Seriously. a deal. The Gong Show. It seems like they all do, but none of them. Right? Weird. Yes. Mm. Okay. Two questions left, of which you need one of them. Uh, Stars. What head programmer got Happy Days, Vernon Shirley, and Three's Company for ABC? What the fuck? Okay. The programmer (laughs) of the network is not a star. Uh, But let's say Brandon Tartikoff. Fred Silverman. Sure. (sighs) Okay. Oh, boy. You're going to get this. Don't worry about it, Adam. You got the two so points. Upset. What Indian words did Tonto say meant trusty scout? Kimosabe. There you go. Nice. Oh, All right, shit. so that means it is a three-way tie with everybody having one question left. So it is important you get this question right. Yep. Here we go. Okay. Tara Ariano. Mm-hmm. CBS is rebooting their Paul Rubin's late 80s Saturday morning kids show. Mm-hmm. This time set in the deep south along the banks of a mighty river. Mississippi Wee's Playhouse. Adam. Yes. Missing the limelight, this exceedingly wealthy African-American woman has decided to dip her toe back in the water of doing a talk show again. This time as a limited run on Cincinnati Public Broadcasting. This timely. Oh, hi, Oprah. <laughs> Yeah, Ohio, yeah, yeah, anything like that. Sarah, to get into the tiebreaker, you need to answer this question right. Members of the 4077 Mobile Army Surgical Hospital care for the injured in Boston. Massachusetts? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, that is 
Yeah. Three, well, it's been a long time oh. since we had a three-way tie. Shit. Good luck, I everybody. have a tiebreaker, and I want to pat myself on the back that I remembered to produce it. Very good. Good job, Dave. This is, in keeping with the uh, premise of the question so far, except this is not a state. Okay. It's a territory, something like that. Okay. okay. So it's not a state, but it's still a piece of the United States. So a region or not a city, though. Could be where the flag is on the moon, you know, that okay. kind of, you know, who knows? Okay. Something, okay. something that the states has laid claim to. All right. Okay. Got it. Yep. Please do not answer until I finish reading the question, but the first person to shout out the correct answer after I have read it will win today's game. Okay. When Mitch and the gang terrorize the beaches of L.A., they are captured and sent to a unique military prison. Guantanamo Bay Watch. Nice! <laughs> nice! That was great. Amazing! Valued guests. <laughs> that was great. Amazing. Good job, Dave great and job, Adam. Adam. Thanks, guys. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Gray. We stowed our bags under a seat in front of us for the new Fox sitcom L.A. to Vegas before asking, will Dave hate the terror? Then we went around the dial with stops at the marvelous Mrs. Mazel. Yep. Nice by one. <laughs> the, the X-Files at the left hook. <laughs> uh, Tara made the successful but uh, sad argument for uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt's uh, induction into the Nonak. We crowned winners and losers of the week. And Adam, during the tiebreaker, was the winner of this week's game time. Woo! Remember. We're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of... Tyler, I don't want to hear the end of anything anyone has to say. Sarah D. Bunting. I threw an earring at a baby. And Adam Grossworth. Las Vegas, where acrobats can make a living. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot The internet is ruining everything. Tell it's just a bunch of it. chandlers. This has been a production of the Previously.tv Podcast Network.